So this summer, we spent a week in Nova Scotia. It was more of a road trip than a vacation, with most of our time spent in the car. I love road trips. I love the meandering, the unexpected, and how much you see along the way. I planned ahead insofar as where we were staying each night, but waited until we set off from each location to choose our plan. And Google Maps was my best friend. If you are familiar with this application, right, you put in your starting place and then a destination, and it gives you the shortest route between A and B. But you can manipulate this based on wanting to avoid tolls or highways, and you can also move your route around on the map with your cursor to explore other roads that may or may not add on considerable time to your journey. Our longest day was when we went from the southern tip in Yarmouth up to Cape Breton. We wanted to drive along the eastern coast so I changed the route that Google gave us to a more remote, less traveled, and circuitous one that wove in and out of the small peninsulas along the coastline. The first leg of our trip, we found ourselves on what seemed like a direct route east. Driving along at a good pace, all of a sudden, the road changed and got really challenging. Grass was growing in the cracks, potholes were everywhere, and the asphalt was buckled on the sides so that we had to drive in the middle. This went on for more than 20 miles. We didn't pass a house or a town or any sign of life, and we're nervous to say the least. And it also took longer than we thought. So once we got through, we decided we weren't gonna take that longer scenic route we were, we were gonna, that was gonna add on another hour or two to our drive, and we took the main highway instead. There was part of me that longed for that other one. What interesting and beautiful things might we have seen? What people might we have encountered? What we got instead was a major highway with road construction and traffic and lots and lots of cars, but we arrived at our destination earlier, which allowed us enough time to sit by the lake and watch the sunset and strike up a conversation with another hotel guest who happened to live in one of the towns that we had driven through on this well-worn path. We connected about our shared experience of the highway construction and our love of lakeside views. It all turned out as it did. And I can't help but think about Frost's poem from our reading here, and our choice between the less-traveled coastal road or the well-worn highway. As I said earlier, making decisions has never been a strong suit of mine. When given the choice between this or that, I waffle. I can see the merit of both, and there is always, always this nagging feeling that I'm going to make the wrong one. And the stress and anxiety of this, along with a society that praises decisiveness, makes me not want to make any choice at all. And we all do this to some extent, right? It's so easy to get stuck in the tension of what to do or where to go next. We do this as individuals, as communities, and a world. 
We get stuck in that tension. And Frost's poem seems to provide us with some guidance here, a strategy, right? You choose the less worn path. You strike out on your own. You're bold and unique. You take the way that's never been taken before. It will make all the difference. I came upon an Atlantic article recently that has me rethinking this all. Entitled, The Most Misread Poem in America, <laughs> author Gregory Orr complicates all of this. He asks us to consider how the road not taken, read as this triumphant exaltation of self-assertion, actually directly contradicts its own lines. Or reminds us that the poem's speaker, before they identify one of the paths as less traveled by at the end, tells us, though as for the, as for the passing there had warned them, really about the same, and that both paths that morning equally lay. In short, the two roads are interchangeable. So, the poem isn't about choice at all, Orr tells us, but rather the stories we tell ourselves later about the choices we made. This article gave me pause, particularly as an indecisive person, Frost, interpreted by Orr, seems to be saying that it doesn't matter what choice we make. All our converging paths, at some point or another, become interchangeable. And it is only in the way that we reflect back on them later that makes one matter over another. In our aching and hurting world, the decisions in front of us are too numerous to count and the implications of what we do, the realities of what's at stake, could not be greater. So I don't want to minimize the fact that what we choose does matter, but I wonder how, when facing some of the most intractable challenges we face, approaching decision-making in a way that keeps us more flexible, nimble, might awaken us to possibilities for growth and change in our midst all along our way. When I began to explore my call to ministry, I encountered this word that I was sharing with the youth earlier um, of discernment. The UUA's website on becoming a minister outlines five stages of discernment. We emerge, we consider, we claim, we invest, and then finally we affirm and ritualize. And I have certainly moved through these stages over the last four years, but it has not always been so simple, confidently moving from one stage to the other. I have stood at the fork of so many diverging and converging roads along the way. I have taken expansive highways, I have encountered construction and traffic jams, worn down pavement, and circuitous coastlines that seemed to take me nowhere in particular at all. In many ways, it's been a lot like those choose-your-own-adventure books. No clear beginning, middle, or end. As I said to the kids, what I loved about those books was how every choice you made led you down some new road that had more choices. 
Do you go into the cave or around it? Do you open the door or do you wait? There was always more possibility, and the process of decision-making was infinite. When one story finished, you could start over. There was no end to the unfolding of your adventure. This must have soothed the soul of my young, indecisive self. It helped me hold decision-making lightly, made it playful, and took the pressure off each individual choice. They all led somewhere interesting. And we are called into the practice of discernment in one way or another all the time. As individuals, do we take the back road or the highway? Do we go into the Murray Room or into the sanctuary? Do we change jobs, retire? As faith communities, what is our mission? Do we start a capital project, a new program, and a world? How do we cut carbon emissions, support those who have been displaced by war and violence, and create a future that is just for us all? And it's hard, right? Whole industries and fields have grown out of this, and books and articles abound with strategies for decision-making. You know the ones, right? Make a list of pros and cons, sleep on it, get counsel from others, journal. All these strategies leading us to believe a world in which there is a right choice if only we were to uncover it. But we know it's not so simple, right? As we look back, as the poet does, on the choices we've made in our lives, how many seemingly bad ones did we make that led us to say later on, good thing? Or other times where seemingly good ones turned into a moment of realizing that it was more complicated than we first thought. So maybe there is a deeper invitation here to approach decision-making, discernment, as more than just discerning what is good and bad, right or wrong, but a practice of being open and awake to the possibilities that lie before us in the choices we do make. Both Eastern and Western contemplative traditions offer wisdom and guidance on discernment as a spiritual practice. In Buddhism, discernment is a strategy for finding true happiness. It is developed through listening, through attention and meditation. Practice is central. One is invited to continually engage with it toward a state of moderation, accepting the moment for what it is, and striving for balance rather than trying to judge something as one thing or another. In the Christian tradition, discernment as a spiritual practice is often connected to the teachings of 15th century Spanish priest and theologian St. Ignatius of Loyola, who developed what is known as the spiritual exercises, a collection of prayers and meditations that were designed to discern the will of God or the spirit in one's life. And similarly, Ignatian discernment involves moving through practices of awareness, a focus inward, understanding the movements of one's heart, and then taking action. While different in, in many ways, these practices of discernment invite us into stillness, 
Call us to pause and be aware of the ways that life is drawing us towards something greater, something of value, something that might make all the difference. But my indecisive nature is tapping me on the shoulder and saying, yes, 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 that's all fine and good, but what do you do? And here is where I think Frost and these contemplative traditions make really good conversation partners. I can almost see the poet standing at the diverging woods, looking down each one in stillness and reflection, imagining what may lie ahead at the end of each one, getting quiet and aware, this holy and sacred work that does not worry about the path ultimately taken, for they both equally lie but in the practice of opening one's self to the possibilities of the path we are on. And like those choose-your-own-adventure stories, we get to do this over and over, again and again. In this way, the goal is not to be decisive, but to be in discernment all along the way and path and roads of our lives to notice and be aware of the possibilities in our midst. It helps my indecisive nature to remember this, and maybe it will yours too, to realize that the spirit, the force of life, is speaking to us with each page turned, each direct route or back road taken or passed by. We need not look for what may be good or bad, but rather what is there, for ultimately, the only choice that makes a difference is the one we make. I will never know what adventure may have opened for us if we had taken the road less traveled on our trip last summer, or this summer. But I'm glad that I didn't stay too long in that place of wishing we'd taken the other way, as I am so often prone to do. It left us flexible and open to the lakeside sunset and the connective conversation with a fellow traveler. So in these waning days of summer, as our individual roads begin to gather back in toward each other, I invite us to take that pause at the forking path, waken our senses to the possibilities and experiences in our midst, get still for a moment, Become aware of the sights, the sounds, and stirrings of life and our fellow companions around us. Take time to reflect on and savor the paths we've trodden this summer, all the twists and turns, the places that took us out of the way and the ones that got us there quickly. The buckled asphalt and grass-filled cracks, the overgrown sides and wide-open vistas that all led us to this moment. These roads that all came home to rest in this place, right where we are. And that, that my friends, does make all the difference. Amen, and may it be so.